pleasure this morning to be able to share with you from God's Word. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm normally just one of the congregation. I'm not one of the, uh, the paid staff, uh, but it's lovely to have the opportunity from time to time to come and share with you something from my heart from God's Word. And over the last few weeks, we've been studying a book of the Bible called Deuteronomy. It's basically a very, very, very long pep talk that Moses gives towards the end of his life to his people just before. They've been wandering for 40 years. They're about to pass into the Promised Land. Moses is <clears throat> very close to the end of his life and he gives them this very long pep talk in about eight stages and this is one of them. And uh, if, if there is the big events in Moses' life, he talks about those um, in this part of the Bible, particularly receiving the Ten Commandments and leading the people um, out of Egypt and receiving the Ten Commandments and giving them to them. And he reminds them about how those circumstances came about. My friends, which of us have made stupid decisions in our lives that we've really regretted and disappointed us? I'll bet there's lots. You know, um, I was reading a little bit this week through some of the historic stupid decisions of the world, and uh, they are both appalling and entertaining at once. Um, back in 1962, there was a record company called um, EMI. They were very small, and there was a bunch of Four or five boys came to them, they played guitars and they said, we'd like to sign up with you. People had heard of them, but um, basically the executive of EMI said, look, we think you've done your best, you're not going any further. People are getting sick of people just playing guitars and singing, and uh, they declined to sign up the Beatles. Um, they went on, of course, to be the largest record-selling group in the earth. Um, and uh, I think, if I remember rightly, the company that eventually uh, signed them up, I'm sorry, they, they signed up to EMI, it was Decca that turned them down. Um, I think EMI actually let Decca do some of the distribution. That was as close as they got. Um, there was another group called Excite.com. They'd been forgotten, because, uh, but they wouldn't have been forgotten if they'd made this decision on this day. Back in 1999, somebody came to them called Google and wanted them to buy their company for the appallingly low sum of $750,000. It'd buy a house. It wouldn't quite buy a house in Camden today. Well, they turned them down. And of course, we know that Google have gone on to be a $3 trillion industry, um, company since. Um, back in 1918, in the last days of World War I, there was a, a British war hero. His name was Henry Tandy. And uh, he uh, was on his way through a French village and uh, they had captured a bunch of German soldiers and they had to decide what to do with them. They had decided that they would not kill unarmed, injured men in cold blood. But at one stage he was pointing his rifle at a 29-year-old German soldier and he decided not to kill him. Adolf Hitler, of course, went on to lead Germany and kill 50 million other people. How different the world might have been. In China, they were getting very, very annoyed with sparrows. They were coming down and eating their crops. Their leader, Mao Zedong, in um, 1958 decided, well, no, what we'll do. He asked all the people of China to get out their pots and pans, capture as many sparrows as they could, and do their bit for China by killing them off. Sadly, what they didn't know is that sparrows, and, that, and by that means they would save their crops. Sadly, what they didn't realise is that sparrows kept down insects and they killed crops, so minus the sparrows, they had even more insects, and they had a three-year famine that lasted up until 1961, in which 45 million Chinese people died. Big call, big wrong call. Um, 
There was, uh, back in the 14th century, you might remember people didn't have books and uh, the world's literature was looked after by um, monks. There was one monk looking around for a piece of paper to write on, couldn't find one, so he grabbed a piece of parchment and scrubbed off all the ink that was on it and was able to write a note. Um, what the world did not know is that he rubbed out some of the writings of a, of a character called Archimedes and destroyed for 500 years the world's knowledge of calculus. Calculus, of course, is how we calculate uh, motion and, uh, and, uh, uh, and use it to track how things change over time. It's the basis of today's modern engineering and, uh, and medicine. You know, it's, there's no getting away from the consequences of making a bad decision. All of the opportunities um, that were available are lost, and it doesn't matter how much you cry, they're gone. And while we can laugh at others who make bad decisions, the truth is we all make bad decisions ourselves. We break the confidence of friends, we spread hurtful gossip to others, we make bad investments, sometimes we have accidents while we're doing something stupid like driving too fast, and we have to face the music. And sometimes the disappointment of our poor decisions is palpable. It can really hurt and last a long time. In today's Bible passage in Deuteronomy, which we've had read to us in chapter 9, the great leader Moses reminds his people about one of their worst decisions ever. And it literally caused them to wander for years of misery and loss. And he doesn't just remind them of it, he really rubs their noses in it. And it was not just with the intention of that they not do that again, but he also wanted them to teach them something about God and something I think we can learn today. So let's remind our hearts in prayer to listen to the Lord and then we'll go on with today's um, lesson. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We pray that we might learn the lessons of mistakes made in the past. We pray that you will change our lives as we do. In Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 7, which if there is a headline in, uh, in Deuteronomy 7, says this. Remember this and never forget how you arouse the anger of the Lord your God in the wilderness. Now, this was part of a very long sermon um, from Moses, not me. Um, but it, Moses wasted no time in getting to the point. He didn't mince words, he didn't beat around the bush, he didn't attempt to be polite, he just said it as it was. Remember the time you made God angry, he tells them. This incident came about at a time when the Hebrew nation should not have been more grateful to God. God had delivered them pretty much bloodlessly out of the hands of the nation of Egypt who had ruthlessly enslaved and exploited them. And in doing so, God had demonstrated his power before them in ways the world, no one on earth has seen since. He delivered them through unmistakable plagues on their enemies in Egypt, not just once, but ten times. They literally saw the river Nile turn to blood. They had a plague of frogs, followed by a plague of lice. Then there were flies. Then the cattle, horses, donkeys and camels and oxes fell dead in the paddocks. And then the Egyptians suffered painful boils. And then there was hail. Sounds a bit like the weather lately, doesn't it? Um, followed by locusts. Then they had three days of darkness. And if that wasn't enough, 
Then every Egyptian family, from the pharaoh on his throne to the lowliest servant in the land, experienced the death of their firstborn. That's not enough either. They literally saw God slaughter the armies of their enemies behind them as they crossed through a sea. And God fed them in the desert. They followed a pillar of fire. They were given floods of water to drink in the desert. No generation on earth had ever seen such demonstrable power from God. All done for their benefit and so that they could be freed from slavery and delivered into a promised new land. They had even heard the voice of God themselves speaking out of the clouds at the foot of a mountain, delivering to them the Ten Commandments. And what did they do? Well, Moses goes up on a mountain, Sinai, to pray and speak to God, while God gives the Ten Commandments that they'd already heard on stone tablets. And he was away for about six weeks. And he comes back down, expecting to see the people of Israel ready to pack up and move to their new land. And what did he see? as he was warned by God as he was coming down. His people had built a golden cow to worship instead of God. They had taken their jewellery and melted it into the image and started sacrificing animals to it and danced around it in celebration. They had openly, shamelessly and wantonly broken the first of the two ten, of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, and you will not worship graven idols. And why had they chosen to make a calf, of all things? This wasn't an accidental image. They chose a calf because their former enemies, the Egyptians, had worshipped bulls, cows and calves. I'm sure you've seen in the movies the sort of gods that Egyptians worshipped. They sometimes were men with different heads on them, like from animals or birds. But the other thing with the Egyptians is they really had a thing about cows. They were the holiest of all animals in ancient Egypt. Cows and bulls. To the Egyptians, bulls and cows represented continuing strength and prosperity. They believed that they would be safe and rich while ever Egypt had lots of cows and bulls. And it wasn't uncommon for pharaohs of those days to be buried with herds of them. So, so for the Hebrews to choose to make an image of a cow in the place of the Almighty God was an intentional insult to God. It was a deliberate act of defiance to his commandments and it carried with it the unsubtle message, I don't care about your promised land, God. We did better in Egypt. <clears throat> Little wonder it was one of the world's most disastrous decisions. It was gold medal misjudgment at its worst and probably puts all of those other bad decisions I spoke about at the beginning of this sermon in the shade. It's little wonder that Moses was shocked and horrified when he saw what they had done in just a period of six weeks away. And Moses tells them, don't you forget this. It's sometimes said in business that a crisis is too good an opportunity to waste. Well, Moses certainly doesn't waste this one. What we mean by that expression is that sometimes a crisis can be what makes us. We uh, may not be able to escape the consequences of a silly decision, but we can learn from our mistakes, and if we don't forget them, there may be some benefit from that in the future. 
And there's no doubt about it. Moses does everything in his power to make sure that they do not forget this one. Of course, God set out, uh, sorted out the ringleaders straight away. They died immediately. Moses confronts them. But as we read in the verse today, Moses says this, I took that sinful thing of yours, the calf you made, and I burnt it in the fire. Then I crushed it and ground it into powder as fine as dust, and I threw the dust into a stream that flowed down the mountain. Moses was aware of the danger that they were in, and as you might have read, he got busier than Penny Wong is now running around the South Pacific trying to hold back China. The Bible tells us that Moses took the tablets that God had given them and he literally broke them into pieces in front of the people to show them that they had broken God's law. He fell on his face and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights, not eating or drinking. And then he took the calf that they had made, he burnt it, he ground it into dust and then he threw it into their drinking water and actually made them drink the ashes of their sinful deed. Now, we know that there were consequences for this disastrous decision. They wandered in the desert for almost until almost every member of that generation had passed away, including Moses himself. Uh, Before they were again, by the grace of God, presented with another opportunity to pass over and take the promised land. Now, unlike our cruel world, where bad decisions frequently have drastic consequences that we can't avoid... God is not like that. He listened, as you read, to Moses' prayers. He noted the people's repentance. And according to this chapter, the Hebrew nation is now about to be given a huge second chance. At the beginning of this chapter, Moses tells them that they're going to cross the Jordan River. They're going to dispossess nations who are stronger than they are. They're going to overtake impenetrable fortress towns that have walls described as going up to the sky. And they are going to defeat the Anakites, people who were stronger and taller than they were. So, friends, what can we learn from Israel's mistakes and this ancient story? Well, first of all, we learn that God is never defeated despite our astonishing disloyalty and mistakes. We may not live up to his standards, but he never departs from them. God had promised Abraham a thousand years before the events we read about today that he would multiply his descendants as the stars in the sky. He said and promised that he would be their God and they would be his people and that he would bless Abraham and his descendants and all the families of the earth would be blessed through them. He says that in Genesis chapter 12. So it doesn't matter how much we fail. God's big plans for the world will be achieved despite our deliberate and unfortunate failings. Sadly, the Hebrews didn't just anger God with the incident of the golden calf. Moses reminds them in a couple of sentences that they had continuously done this. In verse 22, he, said, he reminds them of three of them. You made the Lord angry at Tabor, at Massa, and Kibroth Habitat. Now, I hear you ask, what happened at Tabor, Massa, and uh, Kibroth Habitat? Well, friends, believe it or not, they were three other occasions where the, Isra- where the Israelites said, we'd rather be back in Egypt. 
The incident at Tabra is recorded in chapter 11 of the book of Numbers. The people were complaining that their lives were hard in the desert and that they'd rather be back in Egypt. They said that they remembered the fish that they used to eat in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic. Sounds like that they were enjoying the fruits of Jane McIntosh's great garden, doesn't it? Um, and in fact, they said, we're sick, of, you know, we're sick of this manna that you've given us, Lord. We'd rather eat what we had back in Egypt. Well, God made it known what he thought of that. And he started a fire on the outskirts of their camp, which killed many of them. And that fire did not go out till they prayed to the Lord for it to go out. Massa is described, outlined for us in Exodus 17. And that is where the people complained about not having enough water. And that's the famous spot when Moses strikes a rock and all the water comes out of the rock. Um, finally, of course, uh, Kibroth Havatah. Now that was a place where they were complaining there wasn't enough meat. And the Bible tells us, God says, I'll give you meat. I will give you so much meat that you will want to vomit it out of the nostrils of your nose. And they were sent a plague of quails, which caused them to actually get sick from eating all the meat. And that let them know just how much they might Um, they had offended God. And then finally, Moses reminds them of the events at uh, Kadesh Barnea, which is recorded in Numbers 13 and 14. That's where the Israelites, despite all they had done, were given their first opportunity to cross into the Promised Land and save themselves 40 years of misery. Um, You might remember they sent out spies into the land to find out whether they could take it over. And Joshua and his mates came back with the story that, look, the land is flowing with milk and honey, just as God said it would. But there are people living in that land who are bigger than us, and the cities are huge, and they're very fortified, and it might be difficult. At Kadesh Barnea, Moses tells the people and reminds them they decided to pay more attention to the bad news than the good news. They ignored God's blessings and they didn't go in because they were frightened that they wouldn't be able to achieve taking over those cities. The land was flowing with milk and honey as God had promised, but they decided not to go in. Now, my friends, time after time, these Israelites made um, decisions that were wrong. And friends, that's just like us. This is not an incentive to sin, though, friends. We need to remember that God intends to bless the world and to save people through Jesus despite anything we do. He will have his way and honour his promises regardless. Now, friends, he may choose someone else, but he will save people and people will be saved through Christ. The obvious message for those of us is that why not be one of the people that God blesses? We don't have to be outside of this. We can come to God and repent and he will save us. And it does not matter how many times we have failed because God never does. Never think that you've done, you've been too bad for God to save because God demonstrates he can save anyone and rescue any situation. In fact, the Bible tells us that we make God a liar if we claim that we haven't sinned and if we say that we're without sin, but if we confess our sin before God, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and clean us from all unrighteousness. So friends, um, as I said, the first message is certainly one where we ought to remember that God is not to be messed with. He is righteous and just and he does what he wants regardless of what we do. Secondly, God 
Mercy and blessing is given to people who don't deserve it. Now, by any stretch of the imagination, you might remember we're discussing people, he says, you're going in to take these people because they were wicked. And then Moses reminds them, you are wicked too. They were no better than the people they were throwing out. They had ignored God. And God, nevertheless, gives these benefits because he's promised to do it. And God righteously honours his promises. This is kind of an answer to the question, if we're so bad, why does God bother? Well, Moses makes it abundantly clear that God plans to bless them richly. But it's also clear that God is not going to bless them because they deserve it. And friends, thank heavens he did not, because none of us will ever deserve what God gives us. We all need to understand that uh, none of us can ever be good enough to earn God's merit. And sadly, there is a, you know, there's a line in the world outside the church where people sort of say, look, it doesn't matter how you live as long as you know, the, the good side outweighs the bad side, you'll be good enough for God. You will not. You will not. You will have to do it through Christ because we will never be good enough for God. He does not reward us because we are good. We Christians are no different to anyone else. Let us read together, in case we forget that, the words of the Bible itself in verses 5 and 6. Do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going in to take possession of this land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations. The Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to our fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. Understand then that it is not your righteousness, are you getting the message? That it is not of your righteousness that God, the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess because you are a stiff-necked people. Friends, so are we. And we need to understand God is generous because it is his nature to be generous. But he doesn't do it because we deserve it. Those of us who know the Lord need to be aware that a relationship with God is not a reward for our efforts. It is a free gift of God given to us that we do not deserve. We are no better than anyone else. We have failed God too. We have every reason to be humble and absolutely no reason to be proud. We have every reason, however, to be confident that God will save us because it's up to him and not us. And how grateful I am for that fact. Because I could not save myself and none of us can either. We need to remember always that our God is an all-powerful God who is reliable and righteous in all he does. He does not make promises that he does not keep. He does not tolerate sin. But despite our sin, he finds a way. And that way was by sending his son to die for us, the greatest gift he could give so that we could be saved. And as he told the Israelites through Moses, be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will destroy them and subdue them before you and you will drive them out and annihilate them quickly as the Lord has promised you. Friends, we're saved because God saves us and we can be utterly confident that he will do it and bring it to conclusion. So what do we get from this? Well, regardless of anything we see in the world to the contrary, we need to understand that God is in control and he will have his way. It does not depend upon us. 
It is the will and grace of God which will ensure that we are saved and that we eventually will have victory over sin and the gospel good news will prevail. As the old hymn says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. That's the old Rock of Ages hymn, and it's true. There's nothing we can bring to God that he finds impressive. It's all going to fall short. Thankfully, he wants us to bring things to him. He wants us to serve him. But let us not kid ourselves that somehow or other he is impressed with our efforts. He is not, because he can't be. He is righteous. But we know that we're in a world that hates God and which is utterly hostile to his purposes. We must be aware that it will try its best to defeat us by frustrating the work of the gospel. Friends, they're not here at the moment, but some of us have left because we're a bit frustrated with COVID and we don't have a minister at St John's and things aren't as perfect as they normally are. And people have left us. Well, friends, I hope they've not left us. Um, I hope they've not left us for good and I hope they've not left God. But friends, we just understand we are going through perhaps one of those 40 days and 40 nights of trial right now, but it's coming to an end. You can be confident it's coming to an end and we can be too. It's, the world will try its best to tempt us into abandoning God and to wandering away from his perfect standards. And sadly, like the Israelites, we will fail too from time to time and it will be ugly and there might even be worldly consequences to us. We need to reflect on our failings from time to time. It is a good thing. Even though God has forgiven us, we really should reflect on those things that we've done and resolve not to make those mistakes again. We need to be constantly on guard that the world will do its worst in tempting us into believing that God isn't real, even though he has proven himself in our lives again and again. There will be moments where we get a little bored and frustrated while God seems to be away. But we need to understand that God is reliable. And he will fulfil his promises and we need to trust him. We need to learn like the Israelites did, that from time to time we will suffer frustrating things. We will experience and see things that will tempt us into believing that God is no longer interested in us. Or that God isn't going to honour his promise and save us and grant us eternal life. But friends, we need to recognise that for the lie that it is and to trust God just the same. So friends, during this week, by all means... Think about where God has rescued you from our own stupidity. That's a healthy thing to do. And think about just how reliable and how trustworthy God is and how blessed we are that he deals with us so mercifully and so graciously, even though we don't deserve it, and thank him for his blessings for that uh, that he does. And it's been a pleasure to share that with you today. Thanks.